It's time for Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers, who joins us remotely for today's segment. We are appreciative of his time, as always. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good morning. Uh, great to be here uh, remotely, uh, just down in uh, Dallas, uh, Texas, uh, taking in yesterday the uh, uh, Toronto-Dallas uh, uh, hockey game, which was a good one from a Canadian and Victoria perspective. You've got a Canadian team, and then you've got a uh, captain from Victoria on Dallas, so... Uh, can't complain about any of that. Excellent. Sounds like all sorts of fun. We have had uh, no small measure of debate and discussion on our open phone lines earlier this week, Michael, and I know you monitored a portion of that. ICBC, our insurance coverage, and what sort of conduct may result in us not being covered financially if we cause injury? How does all this fit together? Sure. Boy, there's a lot to unpack here, uh, and uh, the uh, the dumpster fire doesn't seem to be uh, going anywhere uh, anytime soon. There have been a number of uh, things that have been in the news lately that I think are important for people to understand, uh, both about the uh, breach issues that you mentioned and then some of the uh, suggestions to try to generally improve the financial status of ICBC uh, that are uh, at least connected to that. So there, there's been uh, some discussion uh, locally about uh, the, the uh, fallout from that uh, tragic case involving the uh, young girl who was hit uh, by the uh, speeding uh, Mercedes SUV and the conviction for that. Um, and uh, there's been discussion about one of the implications of that being that the driver of the uh, SUV who was convicted uh, will no longer have any insurance coverage at all uh, because of the criminal co-driving prohibition. Um, and I think it's important to remind uh, everyone about various ways in which you can, in fact, wind up with no insurance coverage and potentially be on the hook for the rest of your life uh, paying for uh, damage uh, that you cause um, if you don't follow all of the conditions set out uh, in the Insurance Motor Vehicle Act and its regulations. One of those uh, is that uh, if you're convicted of a criminal code driving offense, so that would include things like dangerous driving, uh, or refusing to provide a breath sample, uh, impaired driving, uh, any of those sort of things will all mean uh, that if you're convicted of them, you automatically, and without any discretion on the part of the judge, would no longer have insurance coverage, meaning that ICBC would come after you to recover any money they paid out uh, to somebody where you damaged their vehicle or injured them. Um, you can also be in breach of your policy if you do various other things, for example, if you're involved in a race, you're racing somebody away from a light or something, that is a breach, a race or speed test. If you take any steps to not stop for the police, that is a breach of your insurance coverage. You can also wind up with a breach if you do something like engage in uh, an illicit or prohibited trade or transportation. That will get you into a breach circumstance. There are, in short, a host of circumstances in which even though you might be paying for your insurance, ultimately uh, you would be on the hook uh, to pay for uh, any damage that you cause if you engage in any of those things. Uh, one of the interesting things to be considered is in the uh, recent public discussions about insurance and cost uh, has been suggestions about what's been referred to as no-fault insurance, which would mean uh, that there would simply be payment for you know, medical or other expenses, and no consideration would be given to who might have caused the accident. Um, and that's a, a very interesting thing. Uh, certainly it would 
uh, save time and effort trying to sort out who was responsible for an accident. Uh, but one of the reasons why I think in the past uh, those proposals have run into uh, unpopularity publicly is that people don't generally like the idea that if somebody was, for example, driving dangerously uh, or while they were impaired or engaging in street racing or doing something, uh, that they uh, would not be in any way personally responsible for any of that, uh, any loss or damage they caused doing it. I think uh, generally people like the idea that, you know, hey, if you're engaged in, uh, you know, a police pursuit and you uh, seriously injure somebody, they don't like the idea that we're not going to worry about who caused that uh, and assist the uh, person engaged in the police pursuit the same way you might uh, assist the pers- innocent person who was uh, injured as a result. Um, so that's an important thing that interwines with some of these breach concepts. Um, another thing which I think is important for people to know, because I listened very carefully to some of the suggestions made by uh, the Attorney General the other day, yes. talking about changes, uh, and uh, those have to be listened to and considered very, very carefully. It, it sounds like in some respects... Um, the Attorney General may be taking advice from the uh, bureaucracy at ICBC about things that might be done. And real caution has to be used there. Um, In my judgment, watching how that system uh, works from a legal perspective, one of the really core problems isn't uh, so much the lack of choice, although there's some argument about that, but it's this. ICBC, uh, when it's dealing with uh, claims made, tends to try to adjudicate them in the way that you might adjudicate a claim if you are a for-profit private company. Hmm. And that that is to say, when a claim is made, irrespective of whether uh, it's clear that it's a legitimate claim, the approach they take appears to be trying to, in all respects, minimize the amount of money that they are paying to the person. Um, and... If you look at that in a really short-term way, you might say, well, perhaps that sort of adversarial approach might result in some cases with success. After all, somebody might, for example, not get legal advice about what their claim would be worth, and they might accept some offer that was significantly less than what they might be uh, entitled to if their case went to court. So you might say in the really short term, in some cases, that would have a, a benefit, but financially, certainly not a benefit for the person who's not properly compensated. But over the longer term, what that approach does is that it uh, protracts the time it takes to settle claims, and it causes unnecessary um, litigation and rancor over them. But the talk about five years to settle a claim is an utterly unacceptable period of time. And in my judgment, one of the things that would Uh, very much assist both the costs faced by the corporation and try to address things which aren't going to be adequately addressed by having an in-house ombudsperson, for heaven's sakes. Uh, Yeah, what did you make of that? That was odd to me. That sounds sounds like an entire entire waste of money, probably a response by the corporation uh, to legitimate concerns about how they're treating people and not a very good response. Uh, In my judgment, a better approach for particularly a public insurance company when a claim would be made is to, first of all, determine whether the claim is a legitimate one. If a claim is illegitimate, 
or fraudulent or uh, exaggerated in some way, plainly those need to be resisted vigorously, and nobody would take issue with that. But that is not how most people conduct themselves. So if a public insurance company like ICBC determines that a claim is an appropriate, legitimate claim, what they should be doing and what they do not do at the moment would be to figure out what that claim is likely to result in were it to go to court and offer that amount of money to the person. That is the amount the person would be entitled to if the matter was litigated five years down the road. Offer that amount of money. That is the amount of money the person is entitled to. That is the appropriate amount to offer. If that is done, there would be no motivation uh, for somebody to hire a lawyer and go to court aimlessly. After all, our civil justice system is set up in such a way that if you make a formal offer and then somebody does continue to, without any purpose, sue, they're going to have costs awarded against them. It would be an utter and total waste of time and make no sense. But that is not the approach that ICBC often takes. Often the approach they take is to make an offer much lower than what they know would be awarded, hoping that either a person would accept it uh, or they could eventually, after some period of time, the person would wear out and take it. Uh, And that's not appropriate. And the suggestion made, and here's what it sounds like what they're doing, uh, and it's uh, the image that came to mind for me was the sort of smiling cobra with the idea that they will make offers to people which they could accept without uh, preventing them from suing later. Yeah, does that prejudice future proceedings? Here's what, in fact, would go on. Here's the way that needs to be considered. And this was an interesting thing that your last guest, Mr. Joe Hall, spoke about, which was the things like the cost of hiring a competent, good lawyer to represent you. Often that's done in ICBC cases on a contingency basis. The lawyer would say, look, if this thing succeeds, they would get some percentage of the claim. If it doesn't succeed, the lawyer wouldn't be paid. Right? Um, and now here's how that would play out. What it sounds like they're suggesting, and let's imagine you had a claim which when you looked at it, and you can figure these things out. It's not rocket science. You can look at past claims, what courts have awarded, and you can figure it out. It's not that complicated. So let's say you had a claim which you looked at and you concluded based on past decisions and that person's lost wages, whatever it might be, that the claim would be worth, say, $60,000. So the way this proposal would play out is if ICBC continues to operate in the way that it has operated, trying to make offers that are as low as possible, hoping they would be accepted, you can imagine what would occur is this. ICBC might go to the person and say, fine, we're offering you $45,000. Here it is. You can take that, and if you conclude that's not enough, you could sue us. person takes the $45,000, 15 less than what they are genuinely entitled to, because that's how the corporation operates frequently. The person would then, if they got legal advice, be told, oh, yes, you were paid $15,000 less than you should have been paid. Look, here are the previous cases with the same injuries. Let's look at how much you lost in wages or other expenses as a result of the accident. However, now your claim, your remaining claim, would be worth $15,000. At that point, it may be utterly uneconomic to hire a lawyer on a contingency basis or otherwise to litigate the matter, right? 
Can you, you try to help me so understand this? Yeah, just before we continue, I was yeah. under the impression that the Attorney General, and it was Rick McCandless who's told me this a number of times, had uh, lawyers examine ICBC's settlement offer process, like lawyers from the public service, is one of the first steps that was taken. My understanding is that the offer process itself was not found to have any significant defects in it. Am I, am I mistaken? You were mistaken. And okay. here's how you could conclude that you're mistaken. Simply go and look at uh, the cases which go to court, and there are many of them. If you you can read them every week, they're posted on the Supreme Court website. You can read them, uh-huh. and you will see in them frequently there are substantial awards made for people who have sued ICBC, and then you will see when you look down to the bottom of them, the person being awarded costs for the proceeding. What that tells you um, is that the offer made by ICBC was less than the amount that the court ordered the person be paid. And those are frequent. You don't need a study by lawyers employed by ICBC or a study by adjusters over there. No doubt they would have a completely different spin on the matter. You can simply look at the actual results in court. And the actual results in court, when you look at them, and they are publicly available, all Mm. of them, you can see that people are being awarded significantly more than the amount of money that ICBC was offering. Okay, I recall what I was thinking of. It was a news story published February 6, 2019. Question, does ICBC lowball settlement offers? Government review says no. Lawyers for the Ministry of the Attorney General was reported by CTV and others launched the review last summer at that time to help determine how much blame ICBC shoulders for climbing litigation costs. After reviewing 100 randomly selected cases that were closed between 2013 and 2017, the ministry's legal counsel found little evidence to support the reputation ICBC has among some drivers for lowballing. That's what I was thinking of. Sure. What what you need to do is exactly what I've suggested. Okay. They're published. All of them are published. They're public. You can simply go and look at the cases which go to court and for whom there are public decisions about what the judge found the appropriate award was. They're all available. And then just look at what was the result? Was Were costs also awarded against ICBC? And the answer to that is ordinarily, yes, they were. Uh, and here's the other practical consideration. If that was not so, it would make no sense whatsoever for lawyers acting for these people to proceed to court. It would be a futile and expensive procedure. Let's take a quick break. Legally Speaking continues in just a moment here on CFAX 1070. Michael Mulligan joining us remotely today. All manner of things that can result in breaches to ICBC coverage. The idea of a no-fault insurance system. Again, a possibility for the future of BC and more coming up after this. Michael Mulligan, we're continuing with Legally Speaking here on CFAX 1070. Michael joining us remotely from Texas today. You were saying before the break regarding ICBC. Yes, I was saying... And I should say this, if anyone has any doubt about the approach that ICBC takes uh, in claims and whether they are attempting to uh, settle claims for less than they're worth, hoping that they wouldn't proceed to trial or that a person wouldn't hire a lawyer, rather than relying on a uh, report from ICBC or anyone else uh, uh, dealing with whether they think uh, they're engaged in that conduct or not, I would suggest anyone who is interested can go to a website called Canly, C-A-N-L-I-I dot org. Canly is a free site uh, that includes uh, all uh, court decisions. You can go to British Columbia, Supreme Court, and you could then search for terms like 
ICBC or accident claim. You can sort them by time, and you can look at them. And you will see a pattern of cases that proceed to court uh, and where judges routinely uh, order uh, that uh, money be paid well in excess of what was offered by ICBC to settle the claim. And what that tells you is that their mode of operation is to do exactly what I've indicated. It's trying to, rather than as a public entity, ask yourself, what is the amount this person is entitled to? They're asking themselves, how little might I be able to sell this claim for? And that's really an important sort of corporate cultural change. It's the sort of change which, um, rather than things like appointing an ombuds person to try to deal with disgruntled people who are treated in that way, uh, I would urge the Attorney General to give clear direction to ICBC about how they ought to conduct their affairs. And the advice would be along these lines. You are a public insurance company. When you receive a claim, if it is legitimate, offer and pay the person what that person would be entitled to if they were to proceed to court. That is the amount you should offer, not less. And if you take that approach, you will not take five years to resolve cases. Furthermore, you will not spend millions of dollars litigating things, uh, hoping that you might uh, reduce uh, the amount that could be awarded. Offer people promptly the fair value of their claim. And it's not rocket science to compute that. Uh, That, to my mind, would accomplish much more uh, than uh, the sort of ICBC-based suggestions about ombudspersons or or, uh, allowing them to make uh, strategic payments early that would then make it difficult, potentially, for a person to economically hire a lawyer to go to court and recover what they would in fact be entitled to. That's really what's going on with those proposals. Uh, As a final suggestion to assist putting out the dumpster fire would be this. There has been much discussion about uh, the fact that the previous government took money from ICBC's reserves to avoid raising other taxes, and that's really not in dispute. But one thing that is continuing to go on is that we... Uh, choose to have ICBC perform functions that are well outside uh, insurance functions that private insurance companies would perform in other provinces. You don't have a private insurance company doing things like doing driving tests, issuing driver's licenses, dealing with uh, paying for police uh, road checks. None of those things would go on. Those Having those government functions performed by the public insurance company are really the equivalent of continuing to extract money from the insurance company uh, to pay for that activity. Uh, And it is the equivalent of taking money out to try to balance the budget. So we have more than an insurance company here. We have an insurance company that's also conducting tests and issuing licenses and suspending people and doing all sorts of functions that need to be performed. And of course, if we didn't have a wholly owned public insurance company performing those non-insurance functions, uh, you would need to pay uh, to have government employees do those things. And so tucking government functions into the insurance company is really no different from extracting money from the insurance company and then having government employees perform those tasks. 
All right. Uh, thank you for your analysis and your thoughts on this, Michael. We had planned to discuss some other cases, but this uh, matter arose during our discussions earlier today, so I'm happy that you were able to provide your, your input and your analysis. We have about three minutes left in today's segment. How would we like to spend those three minutes? Well, I guess I would spend them this way. I, I would just uh, urge listeners, when you are hearing uh, proposals like the ones that were uh, put forward uh, the other day and sort of defended by the head of ICBC to ask yourself the question, why are they proposing this? From what perspective are they coming from? Uh, and many of the proposals seem to come from the perspective of how things might be made um, better from ICBC's perspective, right? If you're coming at it from the perspective of uh, I'm an employee of ICBC and I wish to uh, continue to uh, have this um, operation continue, which of course is fundamentally important if that's what your career is, um, you are going to make suggestions designed to um, further the power of ICBC to make decisions that aren't are not reviewable by an independent court. You're going to make proposals to try to reduce the ability of people to get uh, counsel to oppose those things. Um, and uh, those aren't appropriate. The, the core function of a public entity like that ought to be treating people in a fair and equitable fashion uh, and suggestions which um, sort of further the sort of institutional capture of that organization are not appropriate. Uh, and there are changes which the government can make that aren't changes that require massive legislative changes or changes necessarily that would uh, impact on how compensation is paid in a way that's inconsistent with what most people would think is fair. Um, and the core of that ought to be a direction to them. Act in a way which is fair uh, and act in a way that means that people do not require years of litigation uh, to be paid what they should be paid. And if they do that, my expectation is that the dumpster fire is going to pretty quickly go away. Michael Mulligan, thank you for your time as always. We look forward to speaking again next week. Thank you so much. I look forward to it as well. All right. Take care. Have a good trip. Bye now.